0: Hello my curious colleagues and as you can hear I'm a little bit husky. I'd like to say that it's because I've been singing fabulous jazz in a bar in New Orleans but alas I just have a residual bit of laryngitis. So please bear with me and I'll keep this introduction short. In November last year on a beautiful spring day I spoke with Corrine Ung from Our Mate's Farm. Corrine and her partner Matthew Tack have been farming in Tassie for seven years. I was interested in speaking to Corinne about why they chose to be certified organic and how they manage their different income streams from the different operations on their farm. So part of it is certified organic and part of it is organic in principle and not certified. Our conversation certainly addressed that, but what I actually discovered was really quite inspirational. This episode is an absolute must-listen for anyone starting out on the land or thinking about moving onto the land to pursue farming. And everyone just needs to jump onto Instagram and follow Our Mate's Farm. My goodness, Corrine puts up pictures of piglets that are just ridiculously gorgeous and such good fun to see. My name is Kate and I'm the Curious Farmer. In 2012, my husband and I started Leap Farm. We apply ecological principles to try and benefit the environment while producing great tasting food. Our endeavor has led to more questions. So join me as I get all the dirt straight from the farmers, chefs, scientists, and people who love to eat good food about how we can make informed decisions about the best ways to grow, shop, and eat food with our health and the health of our planet in mind.
1: Hi, I'm Corrine Ung. I'm from Our Mates Farm down in Jeeveston in the Huon Valley. We are a certified organic apple orchard as well as running sheep and cattle and free range rare breed pigs.
0: That sounds like an awful lot of irons in the fire you've got going there, Corrine. How big is, let's start with your orchard. How big is your orchard?
1: Our orchard used to be 60 acres. We've taken that down to about 20 acres, just what we can manage ourselves. We grow both dessert apples and cider apples.
0: And so do you make your own cider and what on earth do you do with a dessert apple?
1: A dessert apple is the name for just eating apples. It's like your gala and your pink
0: lady. But I'm thinking like ghettos <laughs> and stuff. But oh. Well, there's
1: your cooking apples, isn't there? And there's your eating apples. So they cover both ranges. So we do make our own cider for ourselves, probably too much of it. Um, we make about <laughs> 300 litres a year for ourselves based on dessert apples and cider apples. We, we ferment them separately and then we blend them together.
0: And so... That's not for sale.
1: No, then. no, that's, that's a home thing. But our cider apples are actually grown to be sold to Willie Smith's.
0: And so with your orchard, how do you look after the trees? Because my understanding is that apple trees are subject to lots of various diseases and pests. And that's why we have sailing activities in the height of winter to beat the pests out of the trees and the spirits, the bad spirits out of the trees. So how do you guys farm other than hitting them with sticks in July?
1: (laughs) Well, as Certified Organic, we are allowed to spray. So we do have a regime of spraying with non-synthetic chemicals. So we still use things like sulfur and copper. We try to balance that out with a lot of seaweed, foliar spray and, and sort of other natural fertilizers. What we like also to do is we run our sheep in the orchard to eat down the grass to help control things like black spot which can hide in the deeper grasses as well as to naturally fertilise the orchard. Our dream is also to run our pigs through. At the moment we don't for our dessert fruit because we're certified organic and our pigs are not. But we certainly try to feed them a lot
0: of our wastage apples. Is that how you ended up going into sheep and pigs through the needs of the orchard and trying to manage your orchard as organically? as an organic certification requires.
1: Yes, totally. With pigs, we've always wanted to have pigs, mainly cuz we love eating pork and bacon, but we also want them to be raised in what is a more natural way. The sheep, yes, totally as natural lawn mowers. They're great for that, and we have a meat breed called the Wiltshire Horn, so it minimizes our work. We don't need to shear them. We let them shed their wool, and they eat and poop in the orchard as they will. So, how many head of sheep do you have? We have Probably through lambs and mums, we probably run about, and where there's 90 a year, we've got about 25 to 30 breeding ewes with two rams
0: that we rotate. So do they generally have singletons or do they twin?
1: They go between sort of half singles and twins. We haven't really worked on the sheep as much as we have with our other animals. We're very intensive with our cattle and our pigs, but our sheep have kind of been our lawnmowers without having to worry too much about them.
0: So how many do you turn off for meat sales a year or is it more that you just pop them in your freezer?
1: We pop some in our freezer but we definitely turn off some so we're getting about 30 lamb a year and we we sell them direct
0: sides to customers. And is your lamb certified organic as well?
1: They are within our certified organic um, organic certification however we don't sell them as certified organic it's not part of the sort of program that we're trying to run they're just sort of a side business but we don't feed them any chemicals and we try not to have to use any drugs on them.
0: Can you immunise animals and have them still reach organic certification? No once you've for example put antibiotics in them or
1: drenched them they are no longer organic certified organic. Ever. Ever. See, that's something that I find really difficult with livestock. Yes, that's why we don't sell our sheep as certified organic because we believe in the health of the animal and if they need treatment, they should get treatment. We try to obviously minimise pest loads and worm loads by rotating them through different parts of our orchard and different parts of our farm so that the worm load doesn't build up. But we don't agree with you know, having sick animals just because we're trying to keep a certification value.
0: We looked into being certified organic when we started our goat farm and some of the things that really turned us against it were the fact that if an animal ever had a a dose of antibiotics they then had to be kept separate from the organic herd which was the information we had at the time, I don't know if it's changed since and we just decided that that was both unsustainable on our farming but also unfair, more importantly on the animal, goats and sheep are herd animals they need others around them.
1: Yep, totally. I think one of the things, we originally planned not to be certified organic, but with the Apple business, because you're removed from your customers and you can't really talk to them about your product, we needed that, as well as, you know, financially it makes more sense. But with our animals, we knew from a previous life that friends of ours, oddly enough, who are accountants auditing certified organic meat farms in the UK were noticing that there were a lot of sick animals that they couldn't treat and we didn't ever think that was fair at all so we always decided that yeah if if animals needed treatment we would we would provide it to them.
0: Let's talk about your pigs next because I can tell that this is actually your true love on the farm (laughs) from the smile on your face. You just light up when you talk about the pigs.
1: I do so we obviously in this What we've been talking about, about alone time and and taking a breather for yourself, pig time is my time. 10 minutes every day or 20 minutes, depending on how much work I have on, I will sit with the piglets and I'll just be with them and play and just let them
0: crawl over me. And take lots of photos and, and put take- awesome photos on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. You guys have to check out Corinne's social media Instagram account. It's just fabulous for piglet porn.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, pigs. Pigs are our favourite part of the farm. I mean, apples is our main business, but we love the pigs. You know, they're they're just as smart as dogs. They have just as much personality. Um, it is a funny thing for a pig farmer to say that and then send them off to eat for meat, but we're so happy to be able to give them a good life and provide people with an animal that lived so well.
0: So how many breeding sows do you have?
1: It's very small. We've only got six breeding sows and one boar, and we rotate the boar, who's westerly, after the pirate and princess bride. (laughs) Um, We rotate him with two girls at a time. So there's always two girls that are farrowing, giving birth. There's always two girls that are in with the boar, getting pregnant. And then there's two girls who will have a litter on them that we, you know, are growing and weaning off. So
0: how many piglets are you turning off each year, do you think? I'd say between,
1: uh, on a good run, 90 a year. So we're getting... That's heaps. Yeah, we're getting about 20 uh, piglets Per two litters so like in a group so 20 in a group because there's always two litters going um, so on average but you could have 80 to 90 in through the year so the mums are farrowing twice a year which is less than what commercial piggeries do which are forcing them to go about
0: two and a half times a year. So how long does it take to get a slip because that's what a baby pig is called to the size that is good for them to go off to the abattoir so we
1: have rare breed pigs heritage breed pigs english large black as well as wessex saddleback crosses because we've got one wessex saddleback mum and the rest are all large backs for these breeds they're slower growing it takes at least six months to grow them out to what we sell to our customers as 25 kilo halves so 50 kilo pigs uh, if you want to grow them longer, you can for for different reasons, bacon or prosciutto and things like that.
0: So, with um, with pigs, is it about fifty percent of the the live weight is lost at the time of dressing the carcass?
1: It's not actually. It's not as bad as as beef um, and even sheep, I reckon. Uh, it's about a third. There's a conversion rate you, that you lose your live weight to
0: hook weights about seventy two percent. That's actually really far more reasonable than what it is for goats and cattle
1: (laughs) it's especially good if you are willing to really go the nose to tail so you're taking the trotters you're taking the head um, you're eating everything of the animal you're using the extra fat for rendering you can crackle up the extra skin which is why we encourage with our customers um, selling the way we do as as full
0: sides so if you've got 90 being turned off each year then how often are you guys going doing trips to the abattoir well we've
1: because of the way we run our sort of two-month groups um, we within that sort of when they're ready period we could be going to the abattoir maybe um four times in a well four times in a two-month period so it really it really depends on what we're doing we also do sell um commercially to Bayside Meats Uh, so a meat mistress and to some restaurants so we have sort of we can cut down on our personal delivery because we we deliver all our sides personally we pick them up we deliver to our customers we say hey here it is.
0: (laughs) How long does it take you to get from home to the abattoir?
1: 40 minutes. We're very lucky in the Huon Valley to have had Craddock Abattoir reopen run by local valley and, and Tasmanian people supported by them as a business. So it's not too bad. It, it's much better than when we used to have to send them by truck up to Devonport to the, the big yeah. abattoir where we're really happy having a small abattoir close to us.
0: We use them as well. Um, oh, yes. I do see your goats there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes us a lot longer because of where we live, which is absolutely fine, but we're very grateful that we have access to a small abattoir as well. It's just so important to know that if you're going to eat meat that's been raised well and as the custodian of those animals, you want them to have a good death as well as having had a good life.
1: That's right. They're very transparent. You know, there is there is another small abattoir around, but the transparency in how they treat their animals has been less clear, whereas Craddock, you know, they're really open they're willing for you to be there from the start to the finish if you wanted. I personally know their meat inspector and she's very strict on how the slaughtermen treat the animals as well. She's she's very much about humane welfare treatment so it's yeah we're so lucky
0: to have them. So the next question I've got for you is where do you find your customers from? Because 90 pigs is a lot and there's (laughs) some that you're selling wholesale but if you're doing a lot of direct marketing and direct sales. How are you
1: managing that? We started really small with one sow and one pig and it was kind of at that point we were just selling to friends. Uh, From there it's kind of grown. We started doing um, the Willie Smith's market when they first began and we didn't do sides then. obviously we did cuts and we did bacon and we did sausages to build our customer base it didn't work out as well as we thought and we worked out with the maths of cut-ups and market time that we weren't just as well doing direct sides at a cheaper rate but through social media sometimes through word of mouth people who have bought sides from us have told their friends so yeah so we've got a pretty good customer base of you know our, our goal is to have about a hundred customers loyal customers and they do they all generally come back so they'll be buying from us twice a year not necessarily pork they sometimes buy beef and lamb as well or hoggett and um, yeah it's it's worked out really well most of the time I don't even advertise that I have sides available because I have a wait list going and it's bought before I need to say anything
0: it's Lovely position to be in.
1: (laughs) It is. We're really lucky. I think with COVID especially, we had a small surge in people wanting to buy our our meat because I think people were really thinking about provenance and locality. And um, yeah, as I said, I I didn't really need to advertise. Occasionally, if I have one spare, I'll I'll pop it on social media and it'll be
0: pretty much gone in a snap. Social media has really changed the way we can actually sell our produce from farm direct to consumer it's been as much as social media is a curse it's such a blessing as well it is you can
1: reach a broader base of people that you couldn't you know with a phone call or meeting them face to face it's it's really it's really been great and and i i enjoy it especially because obviously i have take a lot of photos of my animals (laughs) and i have to share it (laughs) yeah mainly my piglets. sometimes my cows because they are quite lovely i didn't
0: realize that the orchard was your main income stream. (laughs)
1: I know the amount of time. Matt's got his own social media account, and a lot of, he is in charge of the orchard. So I'm. Who's Matt? Matt is my husband. Um, and the other part of other half of Ma- our mates' farm, and he is he is the man for the orchard. You know, he grew up being able to drive a tractor and all that stuff. So he is the orchard guru.
0: He's the plant man. He's, he's the, the plant man. Woman. Yeah,
1: and and also like he's really interested in in. Regenerative agriculture and cover cropping. So he's been doing a lot of research on that. I tend to do the animals, uh, two-legged, you know, like our children. Yeah, the (laughs) four-legged, like the pigs and cows and sheep.
0: Yeah, people ask me about the kids, and I don't know if they're talking about the ones with two legs or the ones with four.
1: Yours would be much more confusing, definitely,
0: with the four and two-legged kids. So pigs. Now, pigs can be really hard on the land. And I know that you guys are very interested in looking after your land. And I mean, I think anyone who chooses to be organic is doing it with the interests of the land in mind. But I know that pigs like to root around and dig up the soil and soil takes time to recover from that. So tell me a little bit about how you manage the pigs and the landscape, because that does my head in. Pigs is difficult and I think in terms of land degradation out of
1: any of our livestock they would be the ones doing the damage which is also why we've chosen the breed that we've got. The English large black is traditionally an orchard pig. They can subsist primarily on grass and forage and uh, they tend to dig less. So out of some of the pig breeds they will do some snouting up of the grass, they're looking for worms and grubs, but they don't dig as much as even a Wessex, a Barkey, or a Duroc. So they're a bit gentler and lighter on the ground. We like to rotate where they are, but there will always be, especially long fence lines, where they run some damage. We're looking at working on putting cover crops and running harrows through their fields to sort of soften and lighten the, the earth and, and, and to put different types of seed in the ground to help to help that recovery but the best thing really is about rotation and keeping them off old ground and it also helps with disease loads and
0: pest loads so how long can you keep them on the paddock before you rotate them and how long then does that bit of land get to rest is do you have a specific guide or is it just observing how the land is responding to the pig and then once you move the pig off how the land responds without the pig because I imagine it's variable with the weather as well. Yes
1: weather and season so obviously in the winter the ground is a lot softer and they'll dig it up a lot more and they can pug it up if it's too wet because they're quite heavy on the ground so they they can sort of compress the ground a bit too much especially the older breeders The, the lighter ones are not so bad. We do like to run piglets through the cider orchard in post harvest so that they have fresh ground and they don't they don't they're looking for apples they're not looking to dig and younger pigs don't generally dig so we're quite happy having the breed that we do but yeah you have to have to watch the ground really you have to watch how wet it is in the summer you can keep them in longer it really depends if for example our boar wesley is bored because we don't have two fresh girls in for with him he might dig which he doesn't generally but he's bored so he'll he'll do some damage on the ground but yet yeah, we try to keep them in there you know for probably a couple of months and then try to rest the ground I think when we were carrying less pigs it was probably better on our ground for four sows rather than six but we kind of not rescued two but we kind of took in two because they're lovely pigs and we felt kind of bad for them from where they were they were just being bullied by the other pigs and I uh, not we, we probably didn't need two more, but we brought them in. And, and now we're trying to expand our paddocks. So we built a new paddock for the growers. We're about to expand some of the ex orchard where we'd pulled out trees to provide our breeders with more paddocks because they tend to be in there for longer than the growers.
0: Which makes sense because you don't want to move a nursing mum.
1: No, that's right. You don't, you don't move them at all. And also, they're, they're, actually, we love our pigs because we've trained them to jump on and off the trailer and the boy loves it when he hears the trailer coming down the road he thinks new girls let's go and he runs up and down the line waiting for the new girls like we went past this morning with some pigs to the abattoir and he was running up and down thinking we were bringing him oh. bringing him girls oh, no. but um yeah it's uh, it's it's definitely um better to have fresh ground for them how
0: many cattle do you have and what sort are they
1: they are lowline Angus. They're very sweet, short, stumpy barrels on legs. We have thirteen, I believe. I know it's really, really such a small herd. You think I would know the exact number? Yes. But then we had calves, and then I know oh, they <laughs> do that. And, and then and someone goes to the abattoir yes. or and someone you, gets
0: bitten by a snake, and then yeah. The and then suddenly it's like, how many are
1: there? Um, and also, we bring the bull in, then it changes the number. But yeah, so. It's about a small 30, herd. A small herd. We rotate them every, so we move them every two three days. Oh, really? Yes, yep. at, at the most. Like so it used to be daily, but that is really quite intensive. So we've we extended their paddock a bit, and yeah, every two days. So you are
0: know. you just using a single strand of electric fence and cell grazing them? Yep, totally. It's and, great. And what have you found? Well, how long have you been doing that for?
1: So we've done that pretty much from the beginning of our farm. So we've had our farm for about seven years now, seven years in November. We are in November. Oh, it's seven years. Yay. (laughs) I think it was on the fourth. Oh, happy anniversary. We've had them from the beginning. I think we only had four girls, five girls with four calves. So it's sort of expanded from there. Now we have about, I think there'll be seven breeding, yes, seven cows and they've got their calves on them. So did you guys buy your farm? We did. We bought our farm. We were lucky we had previous lives that meant we could buy it outright. So we're not burdened by debt, which
0: is great. It's fantastic. When you became the current Stewards of your land. What sort of shape was the land in, and what have you done that's changed it? Well, it was primarily orchard. So
1: when we bought it, we didn't mean to be orchardists. And now my husband is known as, you know, an apple orchardist from Geeston. But we saw it as an opportunity to have an income while we were trying to build our other businesses, which, obviously, the pork is the second business we have, and. It was a lot of work. We took some of the apples out. It was very neglected. So it hadn't been worked for about six years. So it's taken us time to bring it back to a commercial apple orchard, which is now certified organic. Obviously it wasn't before. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a while. We've regrafted a lot. We started off with five apple varieties and now we have probably over 50. And I think we're adding about, I don't know, five to 10 more
0: this season. Wow. <laughs> Does that make it easier to sell your apples or harder because you can't do the same kind of bulk? Yeah I think
1: when it was a full commercial apple orchard it used to get about 600 bins a year. We obviously took half of it out and we've regrafted so so generally we only get about 300 bins a year but it is better because we've extended our season so our first early uh-huh. varieties will come on in the end of january
0: oh, where the main wow.
1: harvest varieties like a gala is in march uh pink ladies are in april but we've got sort of varieties coming on from the mid to end of january
0: So that's about managing your cash flow for the business because suddenly you've got income coming in from the apples from the start of January through to... May is our last apple, the Braeburn. Yeah. It gets harvested. Yeah, it, they're
1: they're only small, so our main crop is still gala and pink ladies that go through to Wellworths organic. However, having all the different heritage varieties allows us to sell to smaller wholesalers, great supporters like Michelle Dyer from Harvest Feast was one of our apple buyers Unpacked Bulk Whole Foods in Kingston. So they get all the heritage varieties and it's been so much fun. Like it's it's quite addictive to get new apple varieties every year. We've just yeah we've just grafted in a, a cool new one that we're looking forward to seeing in three years time is that how long it takes three years yes. from grafting to, to yep. harvest three to four actually three you'll start seeing the first fruit and you'll be able to try it out but it will be year four before you actually get harvestable amounts
0: of, of fruit off the that's worse grape grapevines <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah but it, i think it's worth the wait you know we've Before we got this orchard, we never knew anything about apples apart from red and green, you know, (laughs) probably because mainly we grew up in Queensland, both of us. And but now, you know, we've got 50 varieties and some of our favourites are stuff that we'd never heard of before, like the Mutsu, which is an incredible sort of honey, citrus sort of tones to
0: it. I swear you're salivating. You are salivating. I, I just heard you salivating. I'm thinking, well, <laughs> we won't
1: have it until, like, March. So, but the Vista Bella, which is our first apple, is that first fresh apple of the season. It's so crisp. Yeah, and it's just, it's just that, amazing. that first bite. It's, it's more tart than what you're mm. used to, but because you haven't eaten a proper apple, you know, the like unstored apple in months, it's just, yeah, it's incredible.
0: Now I'm salivating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: totally. It's just like having the seasons and appreciating the fruit and produce that comes out of that season is one of the best parts of it.
0: Uh, it's one of the best parts of farming, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's that, that under, feeling the the cycle of the seasons and nature and the bounty that that brings at different points in the year based on the weather. It's so much fun. Yep, and totally. by the time you're sick of the m- mutsu? Mutsu, yeah.
1: There's... By the time you're sick
0: of that one, the next one will be coming on and you'll it'll be sweeter and... Oh, just a different flavour, yeah. There'll be more right.
1: something. Oh, nothing, nothing beats the Mutsu though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's still our favourite. Yeah. So, how many hectares do you have
1: in total? Um, we have 32 hectares in total on the farm. So, do you live on farm? Yes, we do. Mm. We converted one of the sheds into a house. Nice, small, compact. God, you've been really busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how old are your children? My, they are four and six. So Same as ours. Yes. yes. So we had, we, I was pregnant when we first bought the farm and it used to be funny because luckily I'm sturdy. So I used to carry, you know, <laughs> 20 kilo sheep nets to move my sheep while I was, you know, eight and nine months pregnant. I was having contractions for my second child moving cows. Um,
0: yeah, you just, you just, yeah, I got You're healthy. Tr- I got in trouble by my obstetrician for grabbing goats by the horns that were bucking and moving. But they had to be moved. Yeah, they did. And there was no one else to move them. I, I think do. I had the baby the following week and she was most, <laughs> most perturbed. But you know what? He's fine, so am I. Yeah, exactly. I think we're probably better off for it having yeah, been active. I yeah. can't
1: imagine having a, you know, sedentary office life and having to bear children to be honest. So speaking of office life,
0: what was it that you did in
1: your past life? Ah yes, I was a strategy and policy manager for a London local council in the UK. Okay. I know it sounds. So you sat in an office? I sat in an office, I generated a lot of dead trees through paperwork. I made people fill out paperwork. you spent a lot awful. of coal
0: turning that computer on every day. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was mainly in performance management and inequalities and diversity. It sounds so fabulous, but really, it's not. Uh, we were 11 years in London, at which point we really needed to leave.
0: Did you meet in Australia and both go to London, or did you meet as expats over there?
1: No, we met in university, University of Queensland and Brisbane, as, you know, students. And we both, once we graduated and he became a chartered accountant we did the 20s young Australian thing moved to to London which was supposed to be you know two to three years and it ended up being
0: 11. So why on earth did you decide to a move to Tassie if you're Queenslanders (laughs) and b buy a farm? Wow
1: that's have you heard of allotments? Yes. Yes. So it's a very, um, it's a very British, very British thing from the war era about dig for victory and people, families, especially growing their own food so that the industrial system could feed the war machine. However, it still carries on today. And it's very, it's very much a cult thing now, actually, very popular in the UK, especially when it's been highlighted by celebrity chefs and things like that. We were lucky enough, As soon as we'd bought our house i signed us up for an allotment and two and a half years later that's how long the wait list was wow uh, we got a call saying hey we've got two coming up come have a look and you can choose one so we did and that was probably what four or five years into us living in london and living office lives so this is why you never moved you were just to <laughs> immersed in a lot of life. Yeah, well, we, we just found the joy of growing our own food, you know, from a little seed. And the food tastes
0: so much better and
1: the community you know the the allotment community they were generally retired um oddly enough Jamaican or West Indian guys um and, and and other English people who were just so gracious and knowledgeable and welcoming you know they'd give you things they'd tell you how to do things um foxes was was a fun thing they told us to protect our we only had to protect our corn or fruit from the foxes just so they would go to the next door plot just enough <laughs> you didn't have to stop them you just had to deter them um yeah so it was about community and, and growing your own food and yeah it tastes so good and we loved it we fell in love with it and from that point we went when we go home because we always knew we were coming back to australia we we want to grow our own food and it was supposed to be just a hobby farm and we were going to be self-sufficient and you know raise a couple of pigs and maybe a cow but when we came home we went to a Joel Salatin Two day or three day workshop down in Kaema in New South Wales. And uh, yeah, he's just such a farming evangelist. Suddenly it was like, oh yeah, we can farm, you know, we can do this as a life, as a business. And we chose Tassie, having never been here, because we were living in the UK and we were acclimatised to seasons and we we do actually love winter. And people kept telling us that we would love Tasmania. (laughs) people we we trusted and loved who'd been here and so we without seeing Tasmania shipped our things in a container from London to Devonport and came down. And how long did it take you to find your farm? We arrived in January 2013 and we bought our farm in November 2013. So while we were traveling and coming down to Tassie we woofed were willing workers on organic farms which is a great volunteer system to gain some experience and to kind of get a feel for what it was like down here and we were very lucky in the people that we wolfed with we were lucky to work with Matthew and Sadie at Fat Pig Farm enough so that they actually paid us to come back as paid workers farmhands and with with other people in the valley and it was always the valley that drew us we traveled all around Tassie and the Huon Valley was just what we always imagined Tassie to be. You know, it was green, it had the rivers and the ocean and the hills and the mountains. We're very lucky to live just down the road from
0: Hearts Mountain. And why did you decide to call it our Mate's Farm? <laughs> Where's the story behind that? It <laughs> intrigues me.
1: Yeah, well, we always saw farming as community and a journey. And we always and it's in a gimmicky way is also so that our customers would be able to say oh I got that produce pork from our mate's farm which can also you know and it becomes a very personal thing but funnily enough being Tasmania there's people who go oh old mate's farm or they'll <laughs> say my mate's farm but we you know we persist and yeah we we really like it and and, and for us it was we wanted our customers to we're very much about radical transparency we want our customers to know exactly what we're doing why we're doing it all our customers can come to our farm and they can see what we're doing um, and yeah and and become friends along the way i think the small farming community in tasmania is doing amazing stuff i know we haven't talked so much about regen ag and i'm not the half of our farm who is best suited to talk about it because my husband does do a lot more reading and research than i do and there's so much going on in regenerative agriculture that is happening in small farms in Tasmania. And I think we need to be sharing so much more information. And luckily, the community is so good that generally, if we know about it, we're all talking about it and sharing it.
0: What's your favourite bit of produce that you grow or eat? Oh, this is going to be so hard.
1: It's hard. I've listened to this podcast and, yeah, it's so hard. Um, oh... If it's our pigs, it's the prosciutto that we make for ourselves. And based on that breed, it is a, it's is—it's an amazing, yeah. I, a, I think I had some at Fat Pig Farm oh, a couple of weeks it ago. Did.
0: It was amazing. Yeah. It melted. Eight
1: to nine month old cured, you know, prosciutto Beautiful. from other pure large black pig is, is a joy. Okay. There's no prosciutto. What is it next? <laughs> oh, the Mutsu apple. I thought it my pig so much fun it's so much better you know like red delicious why why is that even an apple i mean i know why commercially but you know it's when you've got such a range of amazing apples and you try something like whatever your personal preference is for us it's the Mutsu. it's
0: just this it's not an apple it's just amazing i hope you enjoyed this episode of the curious farmer if you too have questions or any comments about this episode please contact me at thecuriousfarmer at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe. If you can, rate and review it. It keeps me going and makes it easier for other people to find. Till next time.